Friday, May 8th here at Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schauff. Not with me today is Jared Smola, however, because he has been holed up in his projections cave all week, putting the finishing touches on the numbers that I'll be arguing with next week. We will have our annual projections party on Wednesday. Then we will be getting those projections live on DraftSharks.com for you next week. But I am not by myself today. I have with me instead a guest. Someone I respect as much as anyone in the fantasy football industry. It is Sigmund Bloom from footballguys.com from the Audible series of podcasts. Sig, thanks very much for joining me today. That's my pleasure. I mean, you're keeping me company too, and I appreciate the kind words. I wish I could get to argue with Jared. That sounds like fun. I enjoy arguing with Jared. I enjoy Jared's work, and this is an exciting opportunity. I've been following your work. I mean, Matt, you've been in the business probably longer than I have. So uh, it's fun. We, we get to come over to each other's houses and have play dates. <laughs> it is. We can have our own Zoom call. Although with my quarantine hair, I figured it best that we not do a video. <laughs> my quarantine lack of bathing. But actually, that was true before quarantine. <laughs> right. Now you just have an excuse. Exactly. I would imagine that anyone listening to this show is familiar with your work. I know I've been listening to you for years, Sig, pretty much every time I mow the lawn. I'm pretty stubborn in my opinions, but you are one of those voices that makes me rethink my stance if we disagree on a player. It doesn't doesn't mean I'm going to change my mind on that player, but if I hear you say something a lot different than what I was thinking, it makes me give it another look and at least make sure that I really believe in where that previous stance was. Yeah, I think it, that's one of the things that's so great about Twitter becoming a big part of our community about 10 years ago is that we can stress test our takes. And I love, I did this endlessly with Mike Clay back in the day. I love seeking out someone who completely disagrees with me and going sword and shield because I want to hear all the considerations. I want to make sure I've taken those things into account. And that's fun. And I think that we have enough mutual respect and admiration that we can do this with zest like you know rocky and apollo creed uh, you know like just get in there spar make each other better iron sharpens iron or something like that uh but we still have fun along the way absolutely i mean you'll definitely find some people that you can spar with and then at the end you'll both be like all right good take i'd still disagree with you but we'll do this again sometime and then there are others who that uh, it, it just goes poorly yeah. quickly and it does not work it's not personal. Business, not personal. <laughs> right. So I wanted to do this podcast to look at the rookie class of IDPs. A lot of times I do these things just by myself because, you know, Jared just starts rolling his eyes when I start talking about IDPs. But <laughs> I, figured, I figured why not see if my friend Sigmund was available because I know that you are way into this IDP stuff just like I am. I know that you're way into the NFL draft. So I knew that you could help me find the meaning be- behind these songs that have been started to be written mm-hmm. by the teams drafting these guys this year. Yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting because I think we all feel during the draft, well, especially if you put in the time just to get to familiar with the players before the draft, because then that moment when a team trades up for a player or a team takes a player, maybe the surprises, it's like a personality test because if you understand the player to some extent, you understand what drew the team to the player. And then we start thinking about fit. We start projecting role. We start looking at immediate opportunity and we're off. Uh, And it's great because there's the adrenaline of the first night, the moment that you learn the pick but then with more distance, more reflection and listening and reading people that are smart, people that cover the teams, uh, you know, the people that cover the draft, we continue to learn. That's what's so great about this. It's so stimulating 365 days a year. And also trying to make sure that we discern between the people who are actually talking to members of the team and those who have just been doing it so long that they think that they know what a team is thinking and then present what they think they think as fact. (laughs) I know that you know that I know what I was thinking. Yeah, no, absolutely. So one of the interesting things about this is you can make a set of rookie rankings, right? That's just an order of draft capital. Draft capital is an important piece of information and just draft in the order of the draft. And it probably would be semi-successful, but we're allowed, it's what makes fantasy football fun, right? We're allowed to say that team was just wrong. That team made a bad decision or that team drafted a player that's a good player, but they're not going to use him correctly. Or that team drafted a player who's mediocre, but in the role that he's in, 
he's going to be very productive. And that that's where the analysis comes in and the fun. And that's where we're really competing is trying to find those little gaps and inefficiencies. Yeah. I mean, we put these whole ranking sets together, but it, it ultimately, it usually comes down to like a few players that mm-hmm. you really feel strongly differently right. on versus everybody else. So that means that you're going to get that guy in that specific draft or in, in a bunch of your drafts. And yeah, it's, it's difficult for me to, you know, start getting these strong feelings about these players before we have the NFL draft and then see somebody go way after where I thought he was going to go and then trying <laughs> to decide, you know, what I'm going to do with that. I, you know, we'll get to it. We'll get to my biggest one later in the show, but you know, it's seeing somebody go, like several rounds after where you were sure he was going to go and then deciding whether that means you have to not draft him or I don't know. It, it's like a, it's a player by player basis, but that's the tough part for me is falling in love with this prospect and then having to decide whether we need to just be friends. And the sad thing, Matt, is that again, we've been doing this long enough that there's at least a few times that a player fell to the fifth or sixth round that we loved, and then we backed off, and we didn't take him in our rookie drafts. We didn't go after him. And then he hit anyway. Like, I was right. And there's probably five times that we were wrong for each of those one times, but those are the ones that stick out, right? That haunt you. So, you know, Marvin Jones, whoever, like it haunts you that you didn't stick to your guns. So we end up sticking to our guns maybe for too long, but again, that's the fun in this, you know, it's, we can do it our own way. That's the fantasy and fantasy football. We're in charge. Uh, and it's great to go out on a limb. I think that, like you said, an important thing that people need to remember, anyone can put rankings one to 40 or one to a hundred or one to 12 or whatever, but really you can look at those rankings as uh, distilled down to actionable advice. Like you can just tell uh, right away, like I have DeAndre Swift 14th in my rookie ranking. It's, I'm just saying, don't draft him. You know, you're not going to get him. Or Keyshawn Vaughn. You know, I have him like in my combined rookie rankings, like in the 30s. Um, and you can really distill it down to about, like you said, five or 10 players where you have strong takes. And even those, there's some hits and there's some misses. And we're always going back and self-scouting and trying to figure out what we missed in the picture or things we just couldn't have predicted, like Ryan Tannehill taking over the Titans and making A.J. Brown uh, and this whole offense to take it to a new level. Yeah, and now I'll appreciate it if you'll stop naming offensive players on the show. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. And we weren't going to talk. Right. No, that absolutely. I'm just using those as examples because I don't want to spoil any of the hot takes. I'm with you. I'm with you. Of course, on DraftShacks.com now, you can find our offensive rookie rankings, our IDP rookie rankings, a combined cheat sheet for offense and IDPs. And I know that every year on FootballGuys.com, we get a Bloom 100 both before and after the NFL draft. I have taken a look at both your pre-draft and post-draft versions. I'm sure, though, that this also remains a living organism for a while, right? Yeah, and some of it is that we're doing our rookie drafts, right? I am done two already, and I think I have another three or four coming up starting this weekend. And you do your rankings in a vacuum. And, of course, one of the other things that skews it is doing the rankings before the draft because you want – your post-draft rankings to somewhat reflect your evaluation, but you also want to be malleable, flexible to what we learned, both in terms of draft capital and landing spot. And then you actually do the draft and you think, wait a second, my rankings are telling me to take this player and I'm just not feeling it at this moment. And this is why it's really important for all fantasy analysts to have skin in the game and have teams Mm -hmm. that they're managing uh, because it tests you. It's much easier to say something in theory and then you get clarity Whenever you actually have to invest a pick or you actually get that trade offer, you know, it's fun to go, especially like if we're in leagues with each other and we can look at each other's rankings and say, well, you have this player ranked above this player. That means you, you'll swap this player. Right. And uh, it's, it's fun to test those things. But what it means is, like you said, it's a living organism. It's always in motion. And you may read something or go back and watch a player's college tape or just think about see someone present the idea of a new coordinator and roles in the scheme. And you go back to the drawing board. So let's jump right into the players in this IDP class, which has a lot of, of talent toward the top of the board, even though uh, maybe not a lot on the edge. I noticed that Chase Young is not your top defensive rookie this year. Not that you hate him, but he's not your top defensive rookie. He is for me. Why is Chase Young not the top IDP on your rookie board? So this comes down to what I have observed in IDP scoring systems. And one of the things, it's kind of boring, Matt, but we always say, know your scoring lineups, know your scoring lineups, know your scoring lineups, like rule number one. You can get a decent advantage on at least half of the teams in your league if you really understand 
your scoring and lineups and how that implicates uh, changes player value, right? And in my experience, Matt, most IDP league scoring systems do not inflate sacks, tackles, passes defended for defensive linemen enough to make them worth the same as an elite linebacker. And I think it also is reflected in trade value in most of my leagues. Now, I am in a few leagues that have used scoring systems. Look, if a sack is worth four for a linebacker, it should be worth six for a defensive end or something like that. There needs to be some sort of scoring adjustments that make these players worth similar values across the board. And I just don't usually see that. So it's a tie. And the queen and young are right next to each other in my rankings. And I'm not going to talk anybody out of taking Chase Young. You know, everyone that took Miles Garrett is happy with what they have. I just see that in scoring systems, defensive end is de-emphasized a bit enough that that's how I broke that tie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what I figured in seeing where you had those players. For me, I'd see it. So first of all, I totally agree with what you're saying on the scoring format front. Even at this point, we don't see, I don't think enough scoring changes to boost D-line scoring versus linebackers. We still see tackle bonuses in too many places. So there are lots of leagues where you're just getting top linebackers and you can worry about the other positions later. I do think we're getting some more now, though, that, that include you know, tackles for loss, maybe quarterback hits. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. they change the sack scoring by position to help pass rushers out a little bit. For me, Young is number one because the gap between him and everybody else in this edge class is enormous. Yeah. And there's a pretty big group of linebackers that I like. So I think that I'm, I could get Chase Young and still get somebody that I consider to be either a top tier or at least like a high tier two linebacker next time around. Yeah, absolutely. If you don't have a glaring need at linebacker, you can get Chase Young and get you know Willie Gay or Logan Wilson. These guys are underrated, even by me on my first pass. Uh, you can still get them in the next round of your draft, mm-hmm. but you can't if you get Queen. That's the ship has sailed unless you really like Caleb on Chase on. But he's going to be playing in Jacksonville, and I don't even know if Jacksonville is going to totally stick with the four three. I, I can so that's also throws a monkey wrench into Chase on's value. Yeah, what do you think of Caleb on Chase on? Because he's somebody who you know spent all of mock draft season in the first round. He did end up landing in the first round. I see the flashes, but I have trouble getting excited about somebody who didn't sustain pass rushing production in college for any, you know, long stretch of time. It's true. He he reminds me of Brian Burns last year where you see the traits and Burns was more productive, but you see the traits, you see that flexible, explosive edge rusher, but you don't see a guy who loves the clash. You don't see a guy who has a zest for defending the run. And I'm not quite sure how that is going to translate in terms of IDP stats. It seems okay for Brian Burns so far. Um, it should be interesting to see how he adjusts to his new role in the defense. So yeah, I'm not that excited about him. And I think we may see when the dust settles that guys like AJ Epinesa or Yator Gross Matos, uh, who are going to go after chase on just because of people using that easy index of draft capital i think we could see those guys have more value even someone like julian aquara when the dust finally settles yeah i so i have caleb on chase on right next to yader gross matos and there are nine other defensive players between chase on and chase young uh, most of those are linebackers or a few safeties mixed in but that's that's certainly my biggest mark in favor of chase young you know beyond him just being an elite talent that everybody expects is going to deliver and probably soon on the NFL level. I know Washington's saying that the plan, Ron Rivera said the plan for Chase Young is 40 to 45 snaps as a rookie. So that would have been about 59%, I think, of the defensive snaps for Washington last year. So he should be a guy who contributes at least something uh, for IDP owners right away. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they uh, rotate him and Montez Sweat. And uh, Ryan Kerrigan. I don't know if one of those guys maybe could line up inside on passing downs. And Washington just has a funny experiment on defense this year where they have the best defensive line in the entire league. And then behind that, uh, we'll see. Yeah, they're like, please don't run past our defensive line. Otherwise, yeah. you might find some soft, some soft things. With the underbelly. So where are you at on A.J. Epinesa? Because he's somebody that I was a lot less excited about than a lot of other people heading into the draft. 
you know, Epinesa could really surprise us. So he's a different kind of pass rusher and a different kind of player. One thing that's good about Epinesa is he is a classic set the edge, 4-3 defensive end on early downs. And he's going to get some tackles, get some assists, get in the mix against the run because he's a rugged player. But if they do what they should and move Epinesa inside, I love the idea of Epinesa next to Ed Oliver on passing downs and how interior offensive lines are going to adjust to those guys. Because Epinesa is a much better matchup against a guard one-on-one than against a tackle one-on-one because he's not a speed rusher. He's not a, a flexible guy. He's more of a power rusher. And he does have some surprising quickness. And, you know, he can handle himself. So, you know, you look at the stats that someone like Cameron Hayward has put up. You could see him, again, he's never going to have 15 sacks. But he could have good base tackle numbers and then if he's used correctly he could really make some noise as a pass rusher and he's in a good defense so that's another thing that you always look at not just draft capital but is a player landing in a defense with a track record of getting the most out of the talent they have and I think we can really give Buffalo the benefit of the doubt at this point yeah so the college production on Epinesa was excellent but when I watched him he was really slow and then of course he had the combine that proved he's really slow And then, so I was all set to just avoid him. And then he didn't go in round one as many projected him. So I was like, okay, good. I was right about this one. I'm just going to avoid him where he's likely to go. And then he lands in Buffalo, which is one of the best spots a defensive lineman could land for exploiting your upside. I mean, look what they did for Jordan Phillips last year. who Then moved on and got from Arizona. He's never going to live up to. So now all of a sudden I'm with you. I'm like, Oh, okay. So Buffalo, I think might realize that, you know, start him outside on early downs, slide him inside and pass rushing, rushing situations. And maybe we could get the upside that, you know, had other people putting him in round one and, and, and could get him, close to the 10 sack range here and there but at least like you said give us some solid base numbers and as a side note because you're up there in ratacha aren't the bills fans just gonna love epinesa and zach moss i mean aren't these guys just minted perfectly for buffalo bills football i think they already have their faces on lunch pills (laughs) nice and by the way, Harrison Phillips is a guy that's going to kind of yes. appear without playing time now, but I liked him as a sleeper a couple of years ago and then he got hurt. Now there's just so many names there. I mean, he's going to be good for them. It's going to be good for the line overall. I'm worried though, that he's not going to get the snaps. I was hoping he was going to get though. It's a nice problem to have the depth that they have. And it's just exciting that Sean McDermott has gotten a chance to fully implement his program, fully have that personnel input so that he can get his guys. And let's see what happens this year. This is the, They're going for it. There's a lot of teams in the AFC going for it this year, which is going to make these games in you know, Buffalo, Indianapolis, Kansas City, uh, Baltimore, Pittsburgh. When these teams, any of these two teams play each other, sparks will fly. Mm -hmm. And before we move away from the front line to the linebackers, Derek Brown is easily the top defensive tackle, not only for the NFL draft, but also for IDP purposes, right? Yes, although he's still not an Ed Oliver or even a Quinnen Williams. Mm -hmm. Um, I still think he's a player that will create more for others than for himself. Panthers going through some transition. I, I think Kinlaw is even more like that. And when the dust settles and we look at strictly statistical production, Matt, maybe Ross Blacklock in Houston, who a lot of people had as a first-round pick. Some said that if Houston didn't trade their first-round pick at 26, they would have taken him there. So Blacklock's interesting because he's a penetrator. He's a gap shooter. You're not going to two-gap him. You know, you're not going to have him clogging gaps and tying up blockers. You're going to want him to penetrate and make plays. So if you do play in those defensive tackle leagues, I wouldn't reach for Derek Brown or Kinlaw. I would wait for Blacklock, who's really under the radar in IDP leagues right now. I agree. Defensive tackle is not something I'm reaching for this year the way I would have for Ed Oliver or, you know, several of the other guys in past years. But Derek Brown is the top one once we get down to there. Later in the draft, another one that that you could kind of sneak at the end of a rookie draft or even off the waiver wire is James Lynch, who went in round four to Minnesota. Seemed like he might be heading a little earlier, and he's a little bit tough to evaluate because his big production his last year came mostly on the edge for Baylor. But I think in Minnesota, he's going to be an interior player. He's going to have the DT designation and really brings high production upside for us, I think. 
he's similar to Epinesa, kind of a dirty work guy, not uh, not going to win any beauty contests. Uh, and I, another interesting guy for defensive tackle projection, because another thing about Minnesota is there's a lot of opportunity on the defensive line now. You know, Griffin's not coming back. Stephen Weatherly's in Carolina now. So we'll see how they deal with that. I think Odegnabo is going to be the starter to begin with, but there's going to be some opportunity there. I'm also interested in Marlon Davidson. Like, man, how many edge rushers have we evaluated that are 300 pounds ever? <laughs> you know, I think you're going to see him kick inside for Atlanta, uh, which could be interesting, too, because Gary D. Jarrett and uh, Marlon Davidson, while they're excellent edge rushers, that sounds to me like you're going to run all day on them if they're on the field inside. Anyway, getting ahead of myself. But, yeah, there's some interesting backdoor defensive tackle types that could end up being very productive, even though they don't have a ton of draft capital attached to them. All right, let's move over to the linebackers now. And I know that Patrick Queen is your top guy. So what is it about Patrick Queen that puts him ahead of Isaiah Simmons and the rest of a pretty strong linebacker class? Just fit. I mean, that he's going to get to right away be a three down linebacker. And he fits so well. And how many great IDP three down line, you know, CJ Mosley was the last one. I mean, this is a tremendous spot. He's going to get to be the quarterback of the defense right away. This is a Baltimore team that is always outscoring the competition. I think there's setting up, he can be set up for big plays. I just think it's perfect as a Steelers fan. It just, I was dismayed to see yet another draft where the Ravens have the f- perfect player fall to them in the first round. So maybe this is just my therapy like my way of coping with this is just giving into it (laughs) yeah it's an exciting talent in an exciting landing spot the thing that makes me a little bit hesitant with Patrick Queen versus the other top linebackers is the lack of experience for him 16 starts over three college seasons only became a starter this past year after Michael Divinity got suspended for LSU and then in round three the Ravens drafted Malik Harrison so I, I feel like maybe that's higher floor, lower ceiling guy in the same range inside linebacker for them where do I think Patrick Queen will be the top guy there? Yes. Do I think he will have the better fantasy career? Yes. But I wonder if the range of possible outcomes includes Malik Harrison outperforming Patrick Queen for fantasy purposes. It's true. Harrison's a real nice linebacker against the run and those two guys can need to develop together are that's going to be fun. That's going to be excellent. I think that another reason that's easier for me to have Queen as the clear number one linebacker, if not the number one IDP, is if we start poking holes in the other linebackers. Again, I what I'm really warming to is the hot take here is that Gay and Wilson are much, much closer to Simmons and Murray than early rookie draft ADP indicates, and that they may end up just being better IDPs and maybe right away. Yeah, I certainly agree that all of those guys are close together. And that's, you know, it's similar to my argument for Chase Young. So if you think that Patrick Queen is an elite talent in an elite spot and just beats everybody on ceiling, then you go ahead and get him because later on you can get Logan Wilson or somebody later than you probably should be allowed to. Actually, let's go to the Bengals now because we brought up Logan Wilson. And that's a very interesting linebacking core all of a sudden because they went from basically having nothing. Like you look in the the cupboard and it was stale Pop-Tarts. And now (laughs) they took Jermaine Pratt last year in round three. He began to work as a starter late last season. Wasn't terrific, but he at least started working as a starter. Uh, And then they draft three guys, Logan Wilson round three, Akeem Davis-Gaither round four, Marcus Bailey in round seven. Who among this quartet, or, you know, maybe others, if there are others that you like, who are you betting on among Bengals linebackers for at least for 2020? And then maybe we can look beyond that. Yeah, at first, Matt, you know, Wilson goes early third, and it's beautiful. He's going to be a three-down middle linebacker right away. Then they take Davis Gaither at the top of the fourth, who's an excellent coverage linebacker maybe a little undersized and then Bailey in the seventh who is also an excellent coverage linebacker uh, tore ACL last year I think but as a talent he belongs in that third fourth round range it's just a question of recovering from that knee injury so they may have their three starting linebackers for the long haul we got Jermaine Pratt still there but then and that made me back off of Logan Wilson a little bit in my initial post-draft rankings but going back over and just Logan Wilson Names come pop into your head, Matt, like Paul Puzlesny, you know, like classic three down tackle accumulators, guys that are just in the middle of the mix all the time. And he 
fits that IDP stud profile. And look, we're at a time now when the IDP stud linebackers are dwindling. The guys that you, you could just set it and forget it, and they give you that advantage. And again, if you look at your scoring systems, and you get two points per tackle. Somebody like Logan Wilson is really, really exciting, especially, you know, we see Corey Littleton changing teams. What's that going to entail? Blake Martinez change teams. What's that going to entail? You know, there's a lot of change at linebacker. So those guys that can get upwards of you know, 80, 90 solos in a season are super valuable. I think Wilson's going to be that guy. I agree. He's the top guy that I'm betting on here. And it sounds like from the way Zach Taylor talked about him, that they were especially excited to find Logan Wilson available, that maybe they would have even considered going up in the draft to try to get him, but they didn't want to, you know, use up too much capital and get too excited, but that they were pleased to see him on the board, thought about heading into the draft, him being somebody that they wanted to leave the draft with. I think he's the best bet among all Bengals linebackers for 2020 production. And, you know, beyond that, of course, as well. We'll see about the other guys. I think Marcus Bailey might have even torn two ACLs over his college career. Um, so he's an upside guy. I'll be very curious to see what happens. It, it's it's probably going to hurt his case, at least this season, just the kind of offseason that we're going to get. So he's probably going to get limited time, if any, with you know team doctors and the team facility. It's probably going to slow his start, I would imagine. Yeah, it's a red shirt year probably for him. But it's one of those things for IDP players. Just put in the back of your mind that Marcus Bailey can play. So mm-hmm. come next offseason, if we're hearing about how much the coaches love him and need to find a role for him in the defense, et cetera, et cetera, it fits into the idea that you shouldn't treat him like a typical seventh-round pick who might be a marginal talent, and if they do get a chance to play, might be a replaceable talent. He is definitely better than his draft capital. Yeah, I agree with that. And then the best thing about getting to know these guys heading into the draft and then our rookie drafts is that every single year when we get through rookie drafts, there are still guys on the waiver wire that I am interested in to some degree. So, you know, you can wait beyond the draft. And even if you're not thrilled with who you landed, you can stash a few more names and see what happens. Especially with IR. I, you know, hey, know your lineup and, and scoring and know those rules because for leagues that you can put up to 10, you know, Matt, my personal confession here, like I love my 16 team, 53 man roster, full IDP lineup teams. Like that's my favorite fantasy football by far. And in those leagues, sometimes you can store up to 10 players on IR. And sometimes, and if you're a commissioner, make sure you have this rule that you can't put a player directly from the waiver wire to IR. They have to spend at least a week on your roster or something like that. But you can see the players that at the end of training camp get put on IR because the teams are playing some games, their own games with roster Mm -hmm. rules and trying to keep a player in their system, but uh, they don't need to envision a role for them this year. And that's just a way to, for free, keep a few players that can develop for you. Mm -hmm. Getting back to that, Big group of linebackers just behind the top of the board. Jordan Brooks is in that group for me, but it does not look like you like Jordan Brooks at all. Why is that? Well, it's a bit of, I sometimes have overreactions. I like for my rankings, as we were talking about, to set up clear, actionable advice. And my actionable advice on Brooks is to let someone else take him. Because they're going to look at first-round draft capital, and they're going to take him higher than he should go, in my opinion. I see him as, till we know, a run stuffer. That's what he's going to do. Uh, he's probably going to get on the field this year, although I don't know. Cody Barton's a pretty good linebacker. There were some signs of hope last year. And they certainly drafted Cody Barton to be an eventual replacement, I think, for Wagner or K.J. Wright. So I'm not sure that we don't have like, like a Penny Carson situation here where you know, the, the guy, the first-round pick was taken to push, doesn't go away. Um, and then just Brooks. And I'm going to say this about Kenny, Kenneth Murray, too. And this is why, again, like if you're thinking about Kenneth Murray, just trade down and you're going to get Gay or Wilson and probably most, if not all, the production. It's very concerning to me, Matt, whenever we cannot fully evaluate a player's ability to drop in coverage, zone coverage, man coverage against the pass in college. And I think with Kenneth Murray and Jordan Brooks, these Big 12 linebackers, I have no idea what they're going to look like against the pass. And any offensive coordinator where the salt is going to test them against the pass. When they're on the field, you're going to see how they can react. You're not going to allow them to get in their comfort zone. So look, Seattle on their first round picks, we just have to understand that their board is stacked totally different than everybody else. They don't care 
if they're going to take someone in the first round that may not go in the third round anyway. So their draft capital, like I would take Daryl Taylor at ADP before who's at least set up to be a Leo, that valuable role in that offense. I'm sorry, that defense. Then Jordan Brooks, who looks to me like a, a two down linebacker and are two down linebackers, even very good ones uh, rosterable at this point in IDP leagues. I mean, I would say no. And if Jordan Brooks had gone to them in round three, then I might share that concern. But, uh, you know, Rashad Penny makes it tougher to just lean on draft capital with the Seahawks. But I still think that them taking Brooks in round one indicates they believe he's fine in coverage. You know, we'll see. I, I certainly have not poured over every game of Jordan Brooks's college tape to, to know how well he's going to fare in coverage. And I know that that's the question with him. But I think... The first round draft capital combined with the testing, he was fifth in the class in speed score among off-ball linebackers. He was productive in college, fourth in solo solo tackles per game in the class last season, sixth in solo tackle market share, first at the position in tackles for loss per game, fifth in career solos per game. He played outside, played the middle. So I think that there's a range of possibilities for him here. He could step in front of Cody Barton and start in the role that Michael Kendricks vacated. He could push KJ Wright out of the way, right? Still got a contract that they could just cut before the season comes and not owe him very much. I don't think they want to do that, but I know that he also had another surgery this offseason, so maybe they just have to do that, and that's what it's time for. And then in a couple years, we could see Jordan Brooks take over for Bobby Wagner, or maybe it's Cody Barton and Jordan Brooks stays on the outside. But I think that there are options here where I don't need to necessarily see the path. There are different paths that he could go down either one and still be productive. And I I think combining the capital, combining the testing, combining the production, uh, it's easy for me to get comfy with taking Jordan Brooks. No, I hear you. And look, I can pull up my um, 16 team draft where he went and I can tell you that probably because I'm I'm not trying to be self-aggrandizing when I say this, <laughs> but you know, I think I, I try, and this is why my rankings undergo changes is I try to get the post draft blue 100 out on Monday when we're still learning where some of the undrafted free agents signed. Uh-huh. And I want to get something out because rookie drafts even start on Sunday. Now I think some rookie drafts even start Saturday night, which is fun. And if really, if you're hardcore, you're doing the rookie draft before the NFL draft. Come on now. But then I have the chance for the dust to settle. But meanwhile, it, it influences drafts. And I'm mm-hmm. glad it does. But I sometimes have remorse over some of these things. So Jordan Brooks in the 16-team uh, IDP league rookie draft that I uh, am part of fell to the fourth round. And that's about the point where I realized, okay, I mean, sure, any first-round linebacker that you can get in the fourth round of a 16-team rookie mm-hmm. draft, that's going a little bit far. And some of the players around him, and look, in, in, in ter- just for full disclosure, I took Kyle Duggar ahead of him. But in our draft, like Akeem Davis-Gaither went ahead of him, Malik Harrison, who we've already talked about, these, these guys went ahead of him, Zach Bond, who I think we're going to talk about, went ahead of him. Grant Delpit and Jeremy Chin. So if that kind of IDP holds, I, if Vanessa went ahead of him, uh, if that kind of IDP holds, uh, ADP holds, then I'm not going to, you know, you can get Jordan Brooks as the 56th player in your 16-team IDP rookie draft. I won't criticize that at all. All right. So let's talk about Zach Bond since you brought him yeah. up. I, I want to love Zach Bond. He's He's been the kind of athlete that you bet on at every level. He But he was most successful. His success came primarily on the edge at Wisconsin. Now he's not going to be primarily an edge. So what's your take on Zach Bond's outlook? Yeah, that's the thing. It's just really hard to pin down where he's going to play. Like he and Josh Uche, the New England second round pick, you almost want to favor Uche over Bond because New England and Belichick have a history with guys like Jamie Collins and Kyle Van Noy uh, utilizing this kind of linebacker to their fullest where they can rush the passer, they can drop into coverage, they can do some of these things that make a disparate skill set. You know, it doesn't fit into a classic NFL role in a defense, but an imaginative defensive coordinator can get the most out of them. So that's the thing with Bond that makes it tough. And the Saints defense is stacked right now, too. I mean, I do think that one of the reasons 
for anybody who participates in these IDP rookie drafts where you have mixed offense and defense, always offense is getting a premium, always. And some of that's because the waiver wire is much more fruitful at uh, the IDP positions. And also, Matt, like there's a cost of carrying guys while you're waiting for them to develop. You know, uh, mm-hmm. it's just how many developmental players can you really carry on the IDP side, right? Like you're carrying six, seven, eight. Like if you have 40 man roster, 53 man roster, you're carrying six, seven, eight, nine guys on the offensive side just to see what happens, right? Just to see in a year or two what grows out of the soil there. But you maybe can carry one defensive end one or two linebackers, maybe one. I don't even like to carry developmental safeties, to be honest, after, for that are more than a year out from their production horizon because you're going lean and mean at those positions and you have to reserve spots for producers. And I'm just not sure when and how Bond will hit. And even Uche, I mean, it's just there's going to be some time there. And I think there's another like a delayed react, a, a delayed gratification thing where you're going to see some of these guys that go in the fourth fifth later rounds of rookie drafts get dropped at some point during the year because they're not producing and maybe in a bi-week crunch or something like that someone has to drop them and maybe that's when you can pounce and get someone like that yeah i'm a little worried about both bond and uche just forever being more valuable to their nfl teams than they are to our fantasy teams i mean anthony barr comes to mind in minnesota yep Kyle Van Noy in New England, you know, where Uche is going to, you know, guys that, that that are good, but it just never quite translates to the level we need it to for IDPs. One, one comp that I saw that was interesting, though, was PFF, and I think it's Mike Renner who does all the comps for them, comped Zach Bond to Joe Schobert. So hmm. Joe Schobert right. similarly played the edge at Wisconsin, but then went to the NFL, moved inside for Cleveland. Of course, he's been a terrific IDP for us ever since. So if that's a plan for Zach Bond in New Orleans, then, it, you know, he could quickly become an exciting asset. Yeah, it's fun. And even some of these other guys like Lorenzo Carter was just reunited with his college linebacker coach, I think, uh, and the Giants new staff. He's somebody I think that could play inside or outside. So absolutely, you're right that we shouldn't limit our imagination of how some of these linebackers that don't have obvious fits will eventually be in the NFL. And I think that's this is where training camp reports, how players are initially deployed in their first practices, comments of the post draft press conferences you're mentioning that the Bengals were talking about Logan Wilson these are our first clues and really consuming as much of that as you can can help you be ready to act on that first drop of information that lets you know there's more here than we thought the first time yeah and that's definitely stuff that's already made me adjust my rookie rankings uh, more than once since they hit the website Let's hit the DBs before we finish up, of course. And yeah. who do you like, first of all, in this safety class? Who are you going after? Whether you have them way ahead of others or not, whether it's the top of your board, who do you really like? Everybody. <laughs> Everybody. This is a fun class of safeties and a fun class of corners. There's at least five corners that fit in the rookie corner rule, You know, other than the obvious guys like Okuda and Henderson. Arnett is fun. I mean, again, offensive coordinators are going to test Damon Arnett. They're going to test uh, Jeff Gladney. Watch and see if guys like Travon Diggs and, and Jalen Johnson and Christian Fulton are going to be starting right away because if they are, they're going to get their number called a lot. A lot of chance for tackles, a lot of chance for pass defended interceptions, a lot of action around them. But this safety class is so much fun and they're so different from each other. I think that you could completely restock your safety position with a third and fourth round pick or fourth and fifth round pick in a rookie draft this year. Antoine Winfield is just super solid, super, super solid. Maybe not going to be a big play safety, but he's absolutely going to collect a lot of tackles and just good instincts, uh, you know, good bloodlines, of course. Grant Delpit could be really splashy. And we liked him a lot more a year ago than we liked him after 2019, although you know, he's playing a little banged up. He has a ton of opportunity in Cleveland. He immediately is their best safety. Maybe the most exciting in terms of upside is Jeremy Chin, who plays like a linebacker but can cover in man, small school player, and he's going to be on the field a ton for Carolina. Maybe the most fun to watch on your college tape is Kyle Duggar. You got to watch Kyle Duggar yet? I have not watched Kyle Duggar yet, no. So, you know, he went to Lenoir Rhine. I don't even know where Lenoir Rhine is. But you would expect that someone that goes like, what did he go, 37th in the draft, right? Uh-huh. That from Lenoir Rhine would look like 
pretty good compared to his competition. It's it's like watching Derrick Henry's high school tape. I mean, he's just he just gets to do whatever he wants. I think Lance Zierlein commented he almost looks bored out there sometimes. He could just do whatever he wanted as a kick returner, as a punt returner, and that's another thing. Know your scoring and rules. If you get those extra return points, Duggar could be a value there. Ashton Davis could be a value there too. By the way, Ashton Davis might end up being the best safety in this whole class. He can do everything. He's a tremendous athlete. He's maybe a little more raw. He was a walk-on. We'll see. The other thing about Ashton Davis that puts him a notch below is the Jets have two pretty good safeties right now. We'll see what they're going to do with Marcus May. We'll see what they're going to do with Jamal Adams. And and then, of course, there's Xavier McKinney, who comes off the assembly line very similar to Minka Fitzpatrick. And that's something, again, that gives us a little bit of pause, right? Because... If they use McKinney like they did at Alabama, he's going to play the slot about a third of the time. He's going to play like deep, maybe single high safety about a third of the time. He can play in the box about a third of the time. And again, this gets, we haven't talked about Isaiah Simmons, but Isaiah Simmons is one of those players that you're so excited if he plays for your NFL team. But how is it going to translate to IDP numbers? It's one of those things where we have to wait and see. It could be spectacular or it could be underwhelming. And in the case of Fitzpatrick, it just depended on the offense. I'm sorry, the defense that he was in. So it can be very volatile when these players can play more than one spot on the field. That's why McKinney is lower out of this group than anybody else. But this is a fun, fantastic, exciting group that are most of them are going to get on the field right away. Yeah, and I think it's easier to attack the safety class when you consider the relative weakness of the edge class as well. I, I agree that there are lots of guys to like. By the way, Lenore Ryan is in Hickory, North Carolina. Yeah, Appalachians, and that's a beautiful country. <laughs> and that's what you want to see from guys that are moving up from the lower level, though. You wonder about a guy making the transition, but you want to see a player dominate the lower level, like Matt Judon on the edge from Baltimore, who went to a small school. That that was my issue on the offensive side, and I know I said don't talk about offense, but like Adam Troutman, mm-hmm. he wasn't dominating his competition. He looked good, but he wasn't dominating. So I, I like that with Kyle Duggar, and there's the – immediate opportunity for him with new England in that they traded Duran Harmon, who was their third safety to Detroit this yeah. off season. And I'm not sure how strong Patrick Chung's hold is on a lineup spot. So, you know, I don't know if Duggar's going to be ready to start right away, but there's at least opportunity to immediate playing time. I agree with you on the excitement for Grant Delpit. It makes you pause when you see a guy's production dip, but I like that it was explainable in that he was dealing with a high ankle sprain for most of the season. Uh, stayed on the field, just didn't produce the way that he did the year before. And now to hear the Cleveland coaches talk about him, they're fired up. Kevin Stefanski is talking about Grant Delpit being able to play in every role that a safety needs to play. And that just means that he's going to put up numbers. It's just, you know, exactly how those numbers are going to come is the only thing that we have to find out. And leaky linebackers ahead of him too. That's something that we can weigh in breaking ties with these guys is the idea that, We'll see. I mean, maybe Cleveland's going to find hits with Mac Wilson and Taki Taki or Jacob Phillips or someone like that. But I think it's more likely that you're going to see more opportunities for the safeties to make tackles there than you would say uh, for a safety that's you know like Winfield that's going to be behind uh, Levante David and Devin White. Kayvon Wallace is a, another guy that might see opportunity quicker than you might expect for a fourth rounder. Went to the Eagles, safety from Clemson. And right now, they're set to play Rodney McLeod and then experiment with Jalen Mills in right. Jenkins' vacated role. So, I mean, we'll see whether that works. They re-signed Mills for a one-year deal, so clearly they're not even saying we know that he can be a safety. If he can't, Kayvon Wallace might be an option this season, and he did similar things with Clemson to what he should be doing in a Jenkins role where he would probably spend a lot of time covering tight ends among other things. Yeah. And also just like when they throw like a vat of boiling oil with a catapult in, you know, he just gets thrown at the line of scrimmage, you know, just disruptor. Absolutely. And again, who are Philadelphia's linebackers? And there's a question there about Jim Schwartz and incorporating rookies in early, but absolutely. I mean, even, yeah, Davian Taylor is a guy we haven't talked about yet. And I do think you're, you're going to see delayed impact from him like 2021. He's super athletic. And again, we look at some of these linebacker groups and just by default, he should have an opportunity 
somewhere down the line. So Wallace could even play like a quasi linebacker role. That's another thing. The big picture here is that safety and linebacker with the prevalence of the pass are starting to blend into one position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cincinnati is another place to look at that with Sean Williams possibly being in that linebacker picture. Now that they signed Von Bell to the defensive backfield before we head out. Yeah. Any sleepers for you in any position group, guys that we have not hit on yet. They, you know, could be late in the draft, could be waiver right. options. Any sleepers for you? I mentioned Daryl Taylor. I don't know how much of a second rounder could be a sleeper. You got to look at Terrell Lewis, of course. First round talent, third round to the Rams as an edge player. So there's your missing edge player, Matt, is mm-hmm. if Terrell Lewis could stay on the field, he would have been the third edge in this class or maybe even push Chase on to be the second. So I think absolutely. I mentioned uh, Blacklock earlier. Troy Dye is an interesting three down linebacker projection. A lot of people loved him. So if you pay attention to the draft community, uh, everybody has their pet cat. Everybody has a linebacker that they really loved. And for some people that was Troy Dye. I'll keep an eye on Justin Strad. Did I say that right? It's a mouthful. Uh, it's a lot of lot of a lot of consonants in a row. The, the the Denver linebacker, just because he's a passing down linebacker, and I don't know that they really have in their uh, core right now somebody that can play that role. So I'm just interested in him because you know someone like Josie Jewell is not somebody that you want to have on the field on passing downs at this point. So maybe he could ease his way into a bigger role. Even Clay Johnston, because quick name the Rams inside linebackers, you know, I mean, they, it's a mess. Absolutely. I mean, we'll see about Micah Kaiser and Traven Howard. I think they drafted Clay Johnston to be a special teamer, but that's going to be a wide open competition. And if he has a good camp, he could be in the mix. Yeah. Clay Johnston is somebody that I was not aware of heading into the draft and then got a little more familiar with him afterward. He is, he, he's one of those guys that's fun to watch in that he's attacking. He'll, he's yeah. seeing the ball and he's going to get it. And he's not watching your moves on his way to it. He dealt with multiple injuries in college, had a limited senior season. He's smallish. So I'm not sure that he's going to have a shot to start, but he definitely landed in the right place to get an opportunity to show that he's capable of doing that. Yeah, that's always, and with IDP, and this is part of the reason that IDPs are going to go lower than similarly valued offensive players is because of how fruitful the waiver wire can be and how often we see some of these unheralded players fit sometimes uh, for fantasy just because of the role. But, you know, sometimes the nature of the defensive scheme means you don't necessarily need plus plus athlete. You just need somebody who plays assignment football well. And you start to see again out of training camp who the rookies are endearing themselves to. And yeah, I forget who it was. There was an interview, Matt, where they asked a player, like, how soon can you tell whether these rookies can play or not? And they said, first practice, like the first practice you can tell. So even sometimes when you hear the teammates say, oh, yeah, we're really excited about this guy. We really think he can contribute right away. He gets it. Then you start to throw draft. The smart teams, here's my soapbox speech, Matt. I think the smart teams throw draft capital out as soon as the first training camp starts or the rookie mini camp. You know, there's just no reason to evaluate these guys thinking he was a first rounder or he was an undrafted free agent. And Ryan Riddle uh, was the all-time sack leader, I think, at Cal whenever he got drafted by the Raiders, said that you know, early round draft picks have to prove they can't play and late round draft picks have to prove they can. So teams will often keep forcing those early round picks into the lineup to prove how smart they were to take them early, which can be part of the reason that early round picks generally outproduce late round picks. But I do think on defense, we see more open-mindedness to these later picks and undrafted free agents getting in there and getting big roles and information is king. And I think that, you know, we're excited for that fire hose of information coming from training camps, knock on wood that they start on time. And then we start resorting our boards and, throwing away things that we were wedded to whenever reality is telling us that it's not going to go that way. I agree with all that. I think it's funny though, to suggest that you only have one soapbox speech. Yeah, it's all soapbox. (laughs) You know, I just, when I went to London, there's a place in Hyde park called speaker's corner where it's just, it's encouraged and normal to just stand up on your soapbox and start your, I would never leave. So, you know, it's like that's what's great about having a podcast and having a gracious person like yourself invite me to come on is we get to, you know, pretend that people are listening to us. And that makes me feel good. Yeah. And it doesn't even matter if people are listening or not because nah. you, you would either way. And then they exactly. choose to ingest it or not. 
on my sleeper front, I was shocked to see Curtis Weaver and Kenny Willett mm. go as late as they did. I thought Curtis Weaver had, I, I wasn't shocked that he didn't go in round one, but I thought he at least had the combo of production, size, and quickness for rounds two or three. So when he went to round five in Miami, I was quite surprised he lasted that long, but I was also happy that he landed somewhere where he should keep the defensive end designation. Yeah, and Willick is, is, you know, I mean, Minnesota, again, we're talking about opportunity there. So there's that path to value. And people have to remember, before we get like too hung up on draft capital, players that go in the fifth round can have second or third round grades second day grades from the often do have those grades from the team that takes them so the team that takes them doesn't see them as a fifth round pick even though they fell to the fifth round so i I think with opportunity any player uh again if you start to see that momentum build in their first training camp then you need to get over the idea that well the chances of them hitting are low because of the draft capital Kenny Willekes is my guy. He's the one that was in my mind that I was saying early in the show, you know, you have him ranked high and then you watch him go rounds and rounds later than you expected and you got to decide what to do with him. I forced myself to push him down my board, but he's 30th in my IDP, my rookie IDP rankings, which is probably absurd for a seventh round defensive lineman, but I refuse to bet against him. All he has done is prove himself at every level. The guy was an all-state linebacker and running back in high school. Then he got no D1 scholarship offers. He could have gone D2 on scholarship. Instead, he's like, nah, I'm going to walk on to Michigan State. I'm going to make them give me a scholarship. They did. He In 2018, he was the conference defensive lineman of the year. And then he went to the, the combine and, you know, he didn't blow it up, but he tested fine. His athletic profile comes out very close to those of Charles Johnson, Olivier Vernon, who were both round three defensive ends who have produced at the NFL level. Then you put him on Mike Zimmer's defense. I, I'm betting on Kenny Willickus. I love it. Well, look, this is what fantasy football is originally supposed to be about, right? Is making a team of your guys, watching football and saying, I want that guy on my team. Well, maybe you can't have him on the team you root for, but you can have him on your fantasy team and see what happens. So I toast, I, uh, I salute you. Matt, for your conviction. Well, thank you. And if if it pays off, then maybe I'll put out my own gymnastics uh, home video. (laughs) Beautiful. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Fantasy Football Podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to check out our rookie rankings for offense, defense, and combined. Get your DS Insider subscription set so you're ready when our 2020 projections arrive at the end of next week. You can find my guest, Sigmund Bloom, on Twitter, of course, at Sigmund Bloom with a profile pick that I guarantee will get your children's attention. It did mine. I am at ShaufDS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. Sig, thanks so much for joining me to talk IDPs on the show. My pleasure. I look forward to the next time we get to talk. Absolutely. For Sigmund Bloom, as well as the entire Draft Shark staff, I'm Matt Shouf saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 